0: Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I am your host, Connor Carrick, a professional hockey player and podcaster by trade, a curious learner by choice. Together, we will investigate career design, how successful can I become in sport, and with what quality of life alongside this goal can I experience? The four areas of focus on this podcast are physical expression, mental athleticism, spiritual growth, and experiential wisdom. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone. We have our first an initial sponsor to announce it is ConnorCarrick my own website. Uh, I talked with myself and we were able to come to an agreement on this. We are offering uh, designs for sports supplements. I am on the Designs for Sport board. I have talked about uh, my other social media channels and also here on the podcast um, my love for supplementation, why I think it's such a uh, there, there's such a need for it in today's uh, food market, and particularly in, in my positioning as an athlete. Uh, a lot of our food today. Due to soil depletion is simply lacking in nutrients. A piece of broccoli or an apple today does not provide the nutritional punch it did uh, 50 years ago. And we we don't need to get into necessarily whose fault that is. But as an athlete and a person uh, avid about pursuing better health, in in the pursuit of uh, better health, I simply want to fill the gaps and kind of figure out who done it later. Um, Also... An uncertain schedule as an athlete is something uh, I've dealt with really since I was 15 uh, as I went on to the National Team Development Program. Consistent travel, uh, inconsistent uh, food availability. Um, So that kind of helps me hit both my uh, micronutrient and macronutrient goals when I am supplementing properly. Huge decision-making factor as a consumer is i want to know for sure that what i'm buying is as advertised designs for sport offers premium ingredients and maybe more importantly just so you don't have uh, a negative drug test or i guess a positive drug test uh, everything is NSF certified which is kind of the gold standard really the only standard for professional athletes that comes right from uh, the NHLPA and their doctors that uh, the only supplements you should be taking should have that NSF logo and then uh, kind of the final piece that really put me over the top in terms of my love affair with designs for Sport supplements is the use of glass. Uh, I don't like touching plastic. I don't like my food being in plastic. I don't like my pills being in plastic. Uh, and it helps with our, you know, plastic waste and things like that. And it's simply another sign that designs for sport, uh, is really paying attention to the detail. So with that said, uh, designs for sport offers, uh, all their supplements, uh, mostly through avenues like this, through certified ambassadors, so I'm very proud uh, to be a part of their team. Now, with all that, I want to get into our solo podcast today, and let's go back to uh, the other side of my first and only NHL call-up with the Seattle Kraken this year. I was playing really well, and uh, the Kraken had had, uh, I think it was some COVID issues or, or some injury issues coupled uh, together, I think it was injury issues. I think it was Alexiak who was out at the time and Borgen, Will Borgen. And so Cale Fleury and myself, he got into games. I did not. I uh, got called up. Uh, I, I joined the team to play the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders. The trip to Boston's always fun. Uh, there's, a, there's a Ritz-Carlton that we stay at with my favorite coffee shop, maybe in the whole league. Uh, George Howell is really where I started my love affair uh, for coffee. Uh, I would spend uh, more time there. The night hoped, was a healthy scratch during some of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Boston Bruins uh, playoff series. So I was able to stroll over there and spend quite a few afternoons doing that. Um, had a good time with the call up. You know, it, always nice just to show your face in some some beautiful cities. Walk around New York City, walk around Boston for a day. A little different feel than you know the Uticas and the New York uh, and the the Syracuse's rather of the American Hockey League. There is a challenge that comes with that though that I want to talk about is the schedule disruption. So there's a certain cadence that a player's nervous system will get into. Right. And so you, you watch the minutes in the NHL every night and you're like, my goodness, how does how does John Klingberg play 25 minutes every single night? How does Miro Heiskanen play, you know, 28 minutes every single night? How does Ryan Souter play the minute? I just named three Dallas Stars defensemen uh, really not on purpose, but there's a lot of players in the league that night in, night out, year in, year out, they do what they do spectacularly and consistently. And part of that for sure is their training, but uh, our body is always sort of conspiring to help us do what it is we're demanding that it do. Right. So the, the more we do something, the more we become something. And so I really enjoyed some of the ice time that I was growing towards in the American hockey league. My game was really growing before the call up defensively disengaged, able to, uh, you know, kind of close on the last 10% of people and either get a piece of the puck or have physicality that deterred them from really trying me the next time around. Uh, And that's been something that, you know, our head coach uh, with the Charlotte Checkers has been consistently working with me on. uh, And I've been been really grateful for the push, uh, which reminds me of a quote that John Hines used to use uh, with the New Jersey Devils. He used to kind of ask his players like, can you be coached? Are you tough enough to be coached? And do you want to be coached? The best players want to be coached. And, and uh, you know, it, it comes from an inner knowing when a coach challenges you uh, that you've been playing well, but there's another level there. Um, and so, you know, I, I've really been able to uh, embrace that. The difficulty of the call up, though, was just the way it was structured. There was only one opportunity to skate, and that was for the morning skate where I joined the team in Boston. Really cool to wear the Kraken logo, if even for... Uh, just to practice, um, you know. But it was really a streak of like five days where I was on the ice once uh, with the travel, um, you know, to and from, and then the one skate in the middle, and you know, travel on either side of it. Uh, and also just where the team stayed in New York. We stayed all the way out in uh, near Hudson Yards, and uh, the New York Islanders' rank was all the way in Belmont, uh, so we weren't able to skate uh, in the morning of of that game. So I get sent back down. We have back-to-back games coming up in Springfield, which is uh, the St. Louis Blues Minor League Club. And then we're playing the Syracuse Crunch, the Happy Bays uh, Minor League Club. And uh, the first game in Springfield, um, I'm high-stepping, you know, need a chest. I feel like uh, Mike Madano in the first period. Uh, my my timing is a little off just from being out of sorts with the, with the call-up getting sent down. And I just talked about, you know, not being able to jump on the ice much. But... Uh, for whatever reason, the puck kind of found me early in the game and I was really able to, to have some, some controlled skating. I actually take that back. It was not, uh, it was not Springfield. It was Rochester against the Rochester, American, uh, excuse me, Buffalo's uh minor league team. Now I really wanted to play well against this team. Just kind of a, a thread as an American league player. You're always trying to uh, impress. You never know who's in the stands at night, uh, but Buffalo's had quite a bit of volatility in their lineup. Um, Don Granato, their head coach was at the U S development team, uh, as the younger coach, he was the the coach of the 95s. I played for the 94s uh, with Dan Cole. So there's a little bit of familiarity there. And anytime you're playing against a team, that's, you know, frankly looking for answers, uh, in their NHL lineup, you want to play well. So, you know, come out, uh, moving really good. Puck's kind of finding me early, couple, uh, early entries. And I want to tell a story about how to engage with, uh, the referees, or I guess how not to, and then frankly, I just thought it was uh, pretty humorous. So I'm, I'm entering the zone early in the game. I get over the blue line, and I get the puck kind of knocked off my stick. There's a there's a slash. I think it's a slash. and I lose the puck. One of them I get it back. One of them I don't. Uh, so you know, I, I gave away the ending here. It happens again, like the next shift. Uh, controlled exit over our blue line. Controlled entry into their blue line, and. I'm entering the zone, get the puck knocked off my stick, a slash on the hands. And so I change after the shift. And for whatever reason, you know, I was, I was kind of hot about it. And just to get myself into the game, using kind of the Brad Marchand approach, I uh, was a little vocal and I just told the ref, you know, Hey, you missed a slash. I didn't swear at him. Um, I was on the bench. He was on the ice right near me. It was shortly after. So I thought the ref would remember the play and the ref frankly, told me to shut the F up, shut the fuck up. And I didn't like that. I thought, you know, I just told him, I said, don't talk to me like that. I just thought you missed a call. And these, these dialogues do go on uh, night in, night out. And there was a certain level of volatility that the ref responded with that really caught me on my heels. I, he really barked. And uh, so he comes up to me on the next face-off and... He starts to tell me, uh, you know, I kind of told him, I'm like, don't talk to me like that. I just saw you missed a call. And he goes, buddy, this is my third game in this league this year. I've been in the NHL all fucking year. Well, now I am livid because at this point I was in the NHL yesterday. um, And I've spent time in the NHL now for, you know, every year for this is my ninth pro season. um, And I haven't missed one yet without at least sometime in the NHL. I'm not uh, in the middle of, of a Sidney Crosby caliber career, but you know, I'm proud of, I work hard for what I've been able to earn uh, in this game. And so now I'm hot, but I recognize this ref's you know, even more uh, angry. And frankly, I don't want to incite a riot and, and get this guy going. It's early in the game. And I, I simply can't believe that you know, he would sort of name drop himself on me, saying that he's been in the NHL all year. You know, This is just his third game in the American Hockey League. So the game goes on uh we're playing I think we're we're playing pretty well at this point. I'm playing pretty well, and uh a teammate of mine takes a penalty in the second period, and he's barking at this ref same guy and you know i'm I'm still a little bitter about the engagement in the first period, and these banters do happen, right um the These sort of playful competitive engagements verbally are, are a part of the game between refs and players sometimes some some guys have a a, a taste for it rather than others, other guys just want to kind of do their job. Some refs, you know, will really give it, give it to players uh, back if they feel, you know, they've been wronged. right? A player's asking for a call that the ref doesn't agree with. And, and, you know, I get it. They're, they're people too. Sometimes they don't want to be talked to in a certain manner professionally. Now, above all, I respect the refs have a tremendously, tremendously difficult job. Uh, the game of hockey is so fast and I, I really don't know what they're looking for night in, night out between refs and linesmen uh, and how they focus on the game, right? As a player, there's different ways I watch the game. There's sometimes I'll watch the game just as a fan kind of see where the puck goes, uh, you know, for entertainment. Um, Like today's uh, March 3rd, as I record this, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres played last night. I kind of just watched like a fan until, you know, my, one of my best friends, John Hayden was on the ice. Then I'd, you know, maybe try to watch like a coach, uh, you know, really zoning in on a particular player, or the shape of, of both systems and and just how each team was kind of playing each other just to play, pay more close attention when, when Johnny was on the ice. So go back to Rochester, second period player of ours takes a penalty and he's going off on the ref and I'm in earshot and I'm skating by and I go, Hey, uh, you know, leave this ref alone. He's been in the NHL this year, sort of, you know, taking a poke at, you know, what he had said to me in the first period. And, uh, you know, the ref dings me up for a 10 minute misconduct which i've you know from from a verbal standpoint never had ever i don't think in my career all the way back to junior hockey i've never uh, received a a verbal game misconduct i've done other things you know after the whistle or after a period and things like that and gotten misconducts i deserve but you know this one i was really shocked cuz i you know i frankly didn't swear at him i didn't uh, you know go at him for you know usually refs will kind of give you a warning and say hey you know that's enough and if you say one more thing, you're in trouble. So I sit for my 10 minutes. You know, I'm not thrilled about it. I kind of tell uh, the coaching staff always, you know, will ask, you know, what'd you say there? And it was kind of an acknowledgement, like, between myself, our coaches, and, and teammates. I was talking about, like, whoa, that, you really didn't say much there uh, to, to take that, you know, penalty, which is how I felt. I felt I was wronged. So fast forward to the of the game. Uh, we win, you know, thank God, during the, those 10 minutes uh We we'd had some injuries on the blue line al- already, so minutes are stressed, and we were in one a little bit against the Rochester Americans. So I was I was sweating. I'm like, you know, I'd really be uh you know pissed at myself if I did something to you know lose the momentum in this game you know permanently that ended up in a loss. With that, luckily, that wasn't the case. So get to to the end of the game. We're playing it back to back. Now we're on our way to uh, Syracuse. Play the Syracuse Crunch, Tampa Bay's minor league club. Um, they play an extremely physical style. Uh, they really, really go to every length to finish uh, particular checks, running out of position oftentimes to do so. So they're they're a tricky team. They can really feed off the momentum of the bike that they play with. Uh, I've, you know, talked with players on that team. I, I guess their you know coach is pretty persistent in demanding uh, the most engagement physically out of some of those guys, but it also comes at a cost. They give up a lot of two-on-ones. Um, and they, you know, really haven't had, uh, the scoring to kind of outrun some of their, uh, defensive trouble at the physicality lens too. They're just out of place, out of, out of position, uh, quite a bit. So it's kind of a tricky game again, came off the, I'm a little bit more tired than I would normally be after a game because, uh, playing uh, good healthy minutes in the upper twenties, um, the night before, I mean, I guess not quite that high just with the 10 minute misconduct, but. You know, I'd only skated now twice, really, in the last six days, uh, which is kind of a, an, an oddity in, you know, my schedule to date. So we're in Syracuse, and it's the same ref. Again, in the ice, someone had said it, Connor, I think I saw that same ref walking in tonight. I'm like, come on, please don't tell me that. I'm like, yeah, man, because uh, we never really, you know, sometimes after misconduct or something like that, uh, refs and players will get together, and kind of bury the hatchet, Uh, because there's a level of professionalism I have a job to do in terms of playing. You know, I want to be honest and I'm playing and and the ref, you know, wants to be able to call a neutral game and and not bring into the fact that he's, you know, frankly pissed off at a guy, which I understand. Again, these refs, uh, you know, frankly get chewed out by fans, coaches, players uh, quite often. And for the most part, they really do do a, a, a great job protecting and designing a game. They don't, uh, get in the way too much. They kind of allow for an environment uh, where the rules are standardized. You kind of get a read on, you know, how the ref's going to call the game early in the game and off you go, drop the puck and, and hopefully you got two great teams playing. So the ref, you know, kind of calls me in after one of the shifts and goes, hey, you know, I've never had a misconduct. I've never called a misconduct in my five years of being a ref. And I just said, you know, I, I really didn't appreciate you know, what you said about being in the NHL, like, you know, we all kind of start here in the American hockey league and we all end here. Uh, eventually, you know, and in, in nine years, I've never taken one. So it was kind of a, a, a standoff. And I did highlight, I did highlight, I'm, I'm short it. I did highlight that, you know, you're the referee and, and I understand that there's a level of respect that you command uh, you hold the whistle. I don't. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate you saying something, and I, I kind of on my back foot fading away did say, you know, in nine years, I've never taken one just as a sort of acknowledgement for both of us that maybe we were in, in rare form for that occurrence to happen. I was not happy uh, that it happened the way it did, um, but really thought it was a pretty funny story. I just haven't had, you know, something to that uh, degree ever happen in my in my career. So to switch gears, that's off the ref story and sort of my, you know, very brief, half a cup of coffee, call up uh, with the Seattle Kraken. Wanted to talk about uh, what elements are intact when the team is going strong. We just got off a break where the Charlotte Checkers were going really, really well, and then we lost, I think it was three or four in a row um, before I ended up uh, leaving the team for a little bit. Uh, Everyone tends to settle into, this is what I've written down here, everyone tends to settle into their ability to check and play the system, and, and they're comfortable keeping the score as it is, and also everyone in your lineup is ready to game break. Uh, and I use the quote here, it, you know, they, before draws, there's the feeling that uh, during important periods of the game that it's not just another face-off. So to, to, let's highlight that. What does that mean when it's not just another face-off? Uh, power plays happen in a game, penalty kills happen in a game. When a team's going really good, the five or the four players look on the ice and go, okay, We know, you know, as a power play, there's anywhere from an 18 to a 30% chance just based off, I actually don't know what our power play percentage is this year, uh, that we can score and start to separate the game. On the penalty kill, you recognize that threat as well, right? And so uh, there tends to be this settling into uh, the special teams. Those can be such a swing, especially in the American League, uh, where it's just difficult sometimes for the premier talent of the league to, to get away from Um, you know, the defensive energy and demands uh, that every team plays with every night and consistently score. And then there's also this ability coupled with everyone just sort of settles into their defensive gap, uh, their ability to just make things hard on the other team. You're, You're getting in their way in the neutral zone. You're getting your butt sort of on their hands as they're skating back to your own zone, trying to break out. You're just little mini interferences and bothers and, uh, Pair that with a, a, a real desire to play the system while also acknowledging that sometimes it takes a little extra effort uh, to make the system work, right? So a lot of times, uh, let's use the neutral zone, for example, uh, in Charlotte, we want to go right up. This isn't a secret. A lot of teams want to do this. They want to kind of avoid the slow horizontal play, the lateral play, the d to d play that allows uh, the neutral zone four check from the other club to sort of organize and get set up and, and look around and try and find their guy. You want to create a little bit of chaos. Use your uh, tracking speed, your back-checking speed to create gap from your forwards from their, away from their defensemen. Hopefully, their defensemen are changing, thereby delaying their ability to set their gap even further. And then our defenseman will be able to go right up and be able to play fast. But sometimes, uh, if their players are staying on the ice, everyone can kind of be in the right spot. Uh, but defensively, if they're able to be a stick length away, you'll, you'll go to make that right up play as a defenseman and uh, your Fords will have someone you know kind of draped all over them versus when a team's going really well, there's a hunger to take that additional step. There's a hunger to get away from their check and play the system, yes, but also uh, take the extra initiative needed to make the system hum. And so that's where I think uh, we're going really well. And then sort of vice versa uh, on the last little skid, there's just a, a lethargicness. Is that a word? A lethargy rather, that tends to settle in where everyone kind of knows their spots. Everyone has a, a desire, you know, to execute on their read. They read on the ice where they want to be, uh, but for whatever reason, you know, the extra effort, the, the final 10%, as I was talking about earlier, this isn't available physically or mentally. Either you're too occupied uh, with your previous read that you haven't moved on to your awareness of the next, um, or, you know, defensively, there's just a little shyness. You're not as hungry for physical altercations. You're not as sharp in terms of how you're able to influence defensively. So for example, uh, I'm a right defenseman. So a lot of times I, I have to defend my right corner once they establish offensive possession. So I kind of play off the back post, the right post if the pucks uh, to my left. So their right defenseman would have it. And then if the puck gets rimmed around or goes to the left men for them, and then enters my side of the ice. Now it's go time, right? And I'm kind of like a, like a snake or, or like a tiger. Like I'm, I'm hunting, I'm hanging out in the weeds, ready to explode and, and get a puck pack and influence that way. There's a, there's a sneakiness, uh, a hunting uh, feeling that, that comes over you. Well, sometimes there's a just get through or a, a bit of hope that you're, you're cheating or you're hoping that they end up kind of getting the puck to you. And this was the experience that we just had, or I I felt like was existing in the game. Uh, For example, we got smacked pretty good on the road against Providence, Um, the Boston Bruins, uh, the Providence Bruins, the Boston Bruins uh, minor league team. And they're one of the premier teams in the league, Uh, definitely in our conference, they, you know, have great uh, forward size and they were just really clear in how they wanted to play. And we weren't Offensively, putting them in positions to be tired, so we're playing against fresh offensive players all the time, and we're just finding ways to extend their their possession. And uh, so that's just kind of a a contrast point between uh, why teams and our and our team in particular, uh, when we're going good, what is the what are the footprints that can can show why, and when we're not going uh, so good. So I, I just alluded to it the Providence game, and then we, not Rochester this time, we were playing Springfield uh, this past weekend, and uh, for the last four or five games, I think it was February 15th, I took a shot off uh, the ankle and uh, had some, some concerns with it, uh, tons of swelling, tons of, of spot tenderness, uh, which is a huge issue concerning, you know, our feet are crammed in skates, right? And, and a lot of times that area can be sensitive already. Now you add in a soft tissue or potentially a bone injury into that area. And then, you know, you've got all sorts of, of, a, of a proper recipe to, to not be skating very well, which was really bumming me out because the previous uh, three games were included a series against Wilkes-Barre, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, that was the 15th, 16th of February. Where we played wilkesbury this is when it happened on that tuesday night in the in the first period i had my foot um numbed in order to get through that game i had the my foot numbed on the wednesday game um and was able to you know still play really well and so this is kind of the opposite side of where schedule momentum can help me so i talked about with the nhl call up where it hurt now this is where it, it helped we were playing quite a bit ice time was good uh prior to this injury playing a lot. I was in a rhythm, really liked where my game was, was at and where it was going and, uh, get the puck impact injury play Tuesday, Wednesday. There's a game coming that Saturday, Sunday. We decide, uh, as a training staff that both games won't be an option, uh, kind of sit out, you know, for practice all the rest of, of the week, Thursday after the back-to-back was a day off going to practice Friday, play Saturday, play Sunday, decide to play Sunday. Uh, again, using uh, whatever it is we need to do uh, to numb the area. And that was responding well. Like I was able to, to kind of pack it into a boot. I was able to use, you know, some gel padding and things like that and be able to play. Uh, but after that game and all through the next week of practice, really struggled to be mobile. Um, escape became more and more difficult uh, to tolerate uh, with or without, you know, sort of pain medication and numbing. Go all the way into Providence. You know, really, I'm not able to solve this riddle uh, going to Saturday against Springfield. It's even worse and I, I hate to do it in the middle of a three and three. I kind of left during the second period to go try and find more solutions uh, with our trainer. And then eventually during the third, kind of evaluate that, you know, this, this pain is, is such a, it's a turnoff, right? Like I'm trying to grind through it and camp. So now fast forward to, you know, further imaging. Uh, MRIs and things like that. Um, good news, you know, a lot of teams, uh, myself included, don't want to get too much into injuries, but it looks, you know, more like a a day-to-day or a week-to-week thing versus uh, something that will will be more long-term, which is really encouraging because uh, I've broken uh, my other ankle uh, before and missed, you know, I think it was 14 weeks or, or 15 weeks with the Dallas Stars. And it really, at this point, you know, could be season ending if that was was the circumstance. So I'm you know, beyond grateful that that's not the case, you know, but I guess for young players, uh, you know, listening to this, you have to be clear with the limits of your body. At some point in hockey and definitely in pro hockey, you're going to uh, play through pain uh, and there's a difference between being hurt and being uh, injured. And at this point, you know, I I had thought that I was just hurt and and sort of um, sort of in one, uh, from, a, from a pain tolerance standpoint, uh, my goal was with all the practice days off to make enough progress towards health that the games would be a slight tax, but something I could overcome uh, with the schedule. Uh, but also what I found was I, I was concerned with the the, the lack of practice, uh, my rhythm for the game and my wind and my overall energy uh, w- was waning as well, uh, just from, you know, a, a sort of a, a detraining, right? Like we were talking about with the NHL call up, a very similar circumstance. So as I record, I'm away from the team, the team's on the road. I'm trying to uh, get healthy using, um, you know, proper supplementation, proper diet, trying to sleep eight, nine hours a night. I use that uh, wave red light therapy. There's a lot of good research on, you know, bone injury as well, but particularly soft tissue injury uh, and its ability to create a, a foster a healing environment for that sort of circumstance. Um, and I'm just grateful that I have these systems in place. And you, know, you think of, some of the greats of our sport, um, you know, someone that I've listened to a lot and how they go about their career, like a, a Martin St. Louis. I think uh, Tom Brady's another uh, case study where a lot of athletes try to to steal from his ability to be so consistent for so long. And one of the things that I found is you, you sort of need a plan uh, available to enact the moment uh, there is an injury. And even better than that, uh, everything you can do for, from a prevention standpoint uh, is more and more helpful. Um, you know, it, w- what do they say? It's like a, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of rehabilitation. Might've just made that up. Um, but I found that really to be the case in my career. So if you're able to manage the tax of playing consistently with uh, proper therapies, maybe they're the compression boots. I use those red light therapy, uh, myofascial stretching, uh, the occasional uh, cold water exposure, occasional uh, sauna or infrared sauna use, those things can all help with in-season sort of uh, recovery, as does just proper training, frankly, if you're exposing yourself to the stresses of playing and practicing and weight training, that's a huge help uh, for durability and consistency in the season. But also having at least a, a skeleton of a plan if anything were to happen, you have people you can call and resource at home uh, the best you can to accelerate uh, your health and, and your return to health. Uh, that's been something that's helped me uh, more than I'd like it to in my career. But you know, frankly, playing defense and, and playing the way I play, uh, it's, it's a part of the game. So I want to transition a little bit. It, uh, I'm not necessarily a huge New Year's resolution guy, but I stumbled on, I want to talk about this uh, waking up. Uh, meditation app with Sam Harris. Uh, I've talked about it on my Instagram quite a bit. I've I've really fallen in love with it. I think it's it's versatility and its utility, uh, day in day out. Uh, it's it's offering up of just a simply, extremely useful uh, ten minutes. It offers these daily ten minute meditations that I find uh, very incentivizing. Uh, just the fact that they're sent to the app. And like I do is open it up. It's the first thing you can press play on. Has been super useful for me. I've not missed a day. Of 2022, for meditation uh, and and spiritual practice, the becoming more sensitive um, to the stresses in my life, the ongoings within my body, and sort of the study of how consciousness feels and engages with uh, my world. So, sort of the the premise for this deep engagement, this level of consistency and commitment, uh, that I've been able to foster this year is I always imagined physically, I'm, I'm trying to push myself every day, right? I'm, I'm still in my ninth year pro my 27th year of, of life. I'll turn 28, April 13th this year. Um, I'm always trying to experience better physically. I want to be able to skate faster, I want to be able to shoot a puck harder, um, and imagine how cool that would be if you could, you know, go to go to Disney and jump on a ride, or you know Six Flags Great America, like I I would as a kid, and jump on a ride that will will strap you into the boots of a Connor McDavid, and and put you in the skeleton of of hockey gear, and he, you were able to, you know, uh, virtual reality wise play. Uh, a shift or a highlight goal of his and feel just how fast and fluid, uh, with your own, uh, you know, joints and, and your own body uh, feel just how, how special it is to move as quickly as he can in his career. And I think to myself often what a luxury, uh, he has, and I know he's worked extremely hard. Um, but, but what a gift to be able to, to get out on the ice. It's fun going fast, right? Like I'm able to skate relatively fast, uh, it to compared to people in the world. I'm, I'm I've been in NHL or currently an American league hockey player. Like I'm able to skate at a, an extremely high level, but man, to be able to skate at his level, how special that must feel just to feel the wind in your face, to have that proprioceptive sort of green light or yes moment as you're flying by defenders, uh, that, that must really be uh, intoxicating. How cool would it be to be able to jump onto a ride to be able to do that or, you know, say a similar ride and be able to hammer an Alex Ovechkin one timer. to be able to, to, to see that puck coming over to you, to see the goaltender late on his angle and, and to see that yawning net and experience that that firework moment in your brain of I'm going to score. I, I've been here before. Uh, there's a there's a certain knowingness in his hands um, that I pursue. Right. I play the Ovechkin spot in our power play. And of late, I've had similar moments. I haven't had, you know, six or 700 goals at the NHL level like he has. Uh, but these green light moments, these, these fireworks in your brain, these, uh, these synapses uh, relations that go off when you, kn- you know you're in the middle. It's total flow state, but you know you're in the middle of doing something that you've, you know, trained and, and really tried hard to do. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge moment of elation. And then, of course, the eruption after you score um, you know, play the ABBA song and, and off you go. Uh, you know, it would be really cool to be able to physically experience some of those, those things, or let's look across other sports. Like imagine being able to be a Tom Brady in a playoff game and be down, you know, 30 points and, you know, everyone else in the arena is starting to check, uh, you know, their bet, they're starting to sweat and Tom Brady's just looking at his chops. Like this is going to be fun. I'm going to come back and we're going to win this game. And and to know that you're actually going to do that and and really, really believe it, that has to to feel a certain way. That has to be extremely special. Same thing with a Mariano Rivera, right? You picture he gets the call, he's in the bullpen warming up. It's a huge game for the Yankees. Maybe it's a playoff game. Cue the song, enter Sandman. You've got the couple hundred foot run. and You're going to come in and throw nine cutters and just mow down uh, and close out you know the rest of the game what a what a certain level of of explosiveness he must feel in that right hand as he grips the ball what a what a familiarity um that that must feel like that must be you know so tremendously fun. And so, as athletes as hockey players as pro hockey players as a young hockey player, that's what you train for you that's what you physically go through the reps of. Uh, that's what you try to visualize to be able to experience that knowingness. To be, experience, to be able to experience that, that freedom of expression that comes from, I've been here before, uh, the, the path is uncertain, but I can, I can see what success can look like in this moment. And so that is really what's been the birth of my meditation practice. I've, I've used you know, many modalities to uh, expand and creatively explore the different corners of my own consciousness, but this, this time around, it's really stuck. And what I wanted to experience was that, that mental knowing uh, that a Tom Brady might have. I wanted to experience, uh, I, I did not want to leave certain corners of my personal consciousness unknown. Uh, and so it's been, I've been on this path for a while, uh, but there's a certain level of discovery that is only accessible through consistency, right? There's a certain level of creativity uh, and curiosity that is born out of the consistency of showing up each and every day, and uh, it, it's really been helpful for me to become more and more sensitive to my experience. And really, that's what skill is, right? That's what uh, when when Tiger Woods is you know choosing and, and visualizing a golf shot. There's a certain feeling in his hands, right? And so if I hand a, go- a golf club to someone who does not golf, there, there's a numbness there. There's a not knowing of what, this, what path this club would need, to f- would need to take to get to the ball and what part of the club it would need to hit to react a certain way versus someone like Tiger. There's a tremendous level of sensitivity in his fingers, in his entire nervous system when he's toying with the club and kind of looking at the, the launch angle for a particular shot. And that exists in all sports. That's, that's what I feel when I feel a hockey stick, right? Uh, we had a family ski. I give a, a hockey stick to Charlie. Uh, he has fun with it. He's playing with it, but there's no real sensitivity to it yet versus when I pick up a stick, there's a knowing, uh, you know, based on how a curve is or what the flex is, like what it would feel like for a, a particular play to, to come off of it. And so one of the things, for example, that kind of came to me in this meditative practice that I recognized was I wanted to uh, score more. Right, I wanted to create more point production. I felt like offensively I was creating a lot, but plays weren't either going in or uh, I was looking around at other players that were producing offense from certain areas of the rink and, and wondering why was I not getting to these areas? So I watched some old uh, video. I watched some old uh, highlights. I just went to YouTube, punched my name in and kind of played around. And, and what I recognized was, okay, our club and the way we play, we're not a, you know, a net front traffic, get it low to high and just pound pucks, sift them through, tip pucks kind of team. Um, versus, for example, when I got to New Jersey, that was very much our offensive structure. When I played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that was exclusively almost our offensive zone structure. We use more of a three high uh, method to roll into a one, three, one, almost like a power play look. And when I was thinking to myself was, Okay, if there's no one at the net, you know, the, these shots from, from out far are not really going to beat a decent goaltender with any degree of certainty. I have to get closer to the net, and uh, it, it was really pointed to me. I was watching the Buffalo Sabres-Leafs uh, game last night, and the Leafs did not look great, uh, but Rasmus Sandin scored this beautiful one-time, I think it was a one-time, maybe caught and shot it, uh, goal on the backside, you know, from the top of circles, down. And, uh, you know, so really this is exactly the type of play that I wanted back in my, in my game. Uh, And and I I was able to, uh, frankly, before the last little bit of, uh, you know, the last little bit of injured play uh, where we were really playing a lot more defense than, than offense. Uh, This is something that, you know, kind of came to me um, in my different breath work and, and meditation uh, practices was, Yes, you can continue to do good things as you are. Yes, you can uh, continue to um you know engage defensively the way you are, but offensively, there's a little bit more initiative available uh, that I can take, and frankly, nothing will change if nothing changes. Um, you know, so it was it was sort of a a revelation uh, that came. I don't want to say it it just came and found me, but it was it was something i I had been thinking about for quite some time. And, uh, you know, just a, just a great example of how the mental side of the game and and sort of quiet time away from the rink really does give birth to on ice success. So that is, uh, our, our solo podcast today wanted to give uh, the last couple of weeks, just kind of a a recap and really wanted to reorganize it even myself. And then I want to end it with today, uh, an acknowledgement of knowing my body, I push my body. The limits as an athlete, that is the job description. I'm happy to do so. I I love what I've learned about myself over the years and doing so. Uh, but you know, this time around just could not continue to play through, uh, some of the pain that I was in. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to be back on, you know, the men, frankly, you know, I was very disappointed to have to make that difficult decision to remove myself from a game. Um, but, you know, as an athlete, you have to know, and I mean really know, uh, when you have to communicate your experience to someone else and, and start to go a different route. It's very difficult sometimes to change uh, your uh, mental path, rather, the, the pursuit of, of what you've been trying to do. There, there's so much into trying to make uh, what you're trying to make work, uh, but at some point, you know, you got to call an audible. So that's what I did. Uh, hanging out here today, uh, Lexi and Charlie are coming back from, they were back home, uh, doing some, some closing on a house chores and things like that. So I'm very excited for the family time. i um, going to stay on my, you know, biking compound lifts, uh, low impact, uh, high sauna use little program here to manage, uh, just, you know, tissue health and maximize, uh, aerobic and anaerobic capacity so that the return to play is again, as smooth as possible. Um, and, uh, thank you. Thank you for joining me and I look forward to doing this again soon. And I appreciate, uh, you know, spending the last 43 minutes together. Have a great uh, week and I'll talk to you next time on the Curious Competitor podcast.